And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. In this hour, we are exploring the world of corporate behavior. What if a company was not just measured by and held accountable for its products, but also for its behavior, for the way it interacted with its employees, with the environment, with its partners, vendors, suppliers, and the community at large, as if a corporation was a sort of living entity and any bullying would just not be accepted? Would it be too much to ask for to have a company be a role model for leadership and responsible practices, exemplary community members, so to say? Well, that time has come. It's a movement of transparency and third-party verification of stewardship in business, a seal of approval for truly sustainable practices and behavior, and it's called B Corporation. In this hour, we will learn everything about it from the man who wrote the book about it, literally, Be a Force for Good, The Rise of Transparent Business, our topic here today on An Organic Conversation. And with us is a wonderful guest, Ryan Honeyman of Honeyman Consulting and um, the author of the B Corp Handbook. But more on that later. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg. And Sitarani Palomar. And if you missed last week, you may not have heard that our beloved third co-host, Mr. Mark Mulcahy, is on sabbatical throughout the year. But fret not, because you will be able to hear Mark's voice popping in and out on episodes throughout the year. So well wishes to you, Mark, and we look forward to hearing your laugh again soon. And we always start with a week's review. Sita, what do you have for us? Well, a very interesting study. This actually came out months ago, but it's something that's been on our radar to have a discussion about. And that is um, Psychological Science published a study that looked at life satisfaction versus life meaning. And what they did was they found in the participants that they, that they interviewed for part of this research project that while wealthier countries had greater satisfaction, as wealth increased, religion became less of a society focus. And a researcher from the University of Illinois specifically asked the question, do you feel your life has an important purpose or meaning? And the wealthier nations, while experiencing more education, and, and actually a lot of people had fewer children, they had a lower sense of meaning. So they, they took this to see that sense of meaning was helping people overcome personal difficulty and extreme hardship in poorer nations. Wow. Fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about the the meaning of life coming with reverence, like a kind of sense of a sense of God, whatever that may be, right? Higher power, nature, whether it's organized religion or not, but to be in service of something larger than oneself, because otherwise, really, it's a, it's a pretty lonely path to walk if this life is just about you. Mm -hmm. So I see how all these distractions that wealth brings often with it, if you don't have those, the dialogue between you and that purpose equals more meaning in life. I think that's beautiful. It's confirming well, kind of a gut feeling. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a Jungian analyst who was telling me that she met somebody who he, he and his wife were extremely wealthy and wealth was a value of theirs. And she realized that by making wealth a value, they were able to accumulate a lot of wealth and then use it philanthropically. But he wouldn't have had the opportunity to be so philanthropic if he wouldn't have had wealth as a value. So if wealth is a value, you can have other values like a sense of meaning. And how is it that you feel a sense of meaning? Well, it isn't necessarily through your money. 
I know that Bhutan, instead of a gross product index uh, f to, to look at how, how well they're doing, they have a gross happiness index. Mm -hmm. And that's through the roof. There's, it's one of the happiest nations in the world. And it's definitely one of the poorest nations compared to economic wealth. So seems like no om, no ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no awe as in like enlightenment or no awe as in wonder. You can decide on that I one. I like that. Both, no either. ohm, no awe. <laughs> Great. That's the week's review. Thanks, Sita. That's a really interesting um, study and review. Our topic, and actually right along those lines, is be a force for good. The rise of transparent business. What is corporate behavior and what should it look like? And now there's finally a third part verification of how well a corporation is doing in terms of environmental, social and cultural stewardship. That's our topic in this hour. But as always, before we dive into that topic fully, here's our very own Sita Rani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita and her holistic bite. Well, we're mixing something up in the kitchen today, but it isn't food related. It's actually beauty related. And I'm asking you to throw your beauty convention to the wind today because you can make your own face oils instead of having to spend oodles and oodles of dollars on very expensive face oils. And yours is going to have fewer preservatives and can guarantee the highest integrity of ingredients. So we had a fantastic episode a couple of years ago that we have rerun because of its popularity about making your own cleaning supplies. And I found a fantastic DIY book on beauty solutions. And from this book by Anne Medlin, who has a really great beauty book, evolved this recipe that uses some of my favorite food ingredients that are also incredible topically. And this face oil begins with cold pressed flax oil. Flax oil is a superb source of omega-3s, and omega-3s are anti-inflammatory in your body and on your skin, which means that they help to reduce redness. They will also smooth fine lines and wrinkles, and they help to balance the, the skin's protective barrier so you can retain moisture better at the topical level. Additionally, you can add rosehip oil. And rosehip, it actually is extracted from the wild rose bush, and, and rose oil is used for soothing skin. It's actually a very popular cosmetic ingredient. It's rich in vitamins A and C, and vitamin A is great for cell rejuvenation, so you can turn over healthier cells quickly. And also, the um, vitamin C is good for evening out your skin tone. Rosehip oil is also rich in omega-3s, and it has a silky, non-sticky texture, which is important because other, other oils may be too sticky on your skin. Rosehip really helps to balance that out. And the last and the super powerful, potent, exciting ingredient in this mix for your ultimate face oil is sea kelp extract. This is powerful because not only is it an antioxidant that helps to repair skin damage and even prevent damage in the future, but it also encourages skin firming and tightening properties. This is so easy to make and use every night or a few nights a week if you want to kind of ease your way into an oil moisturizer instead of a, a lotion moisturizer. You combine a tablespoon each of the flax oil and the rosehip oil with half a tablespoon of the sea kelp extract. I like to put mine in a dropper bottle and just use one dropper at night. It is really going to change your glow. So I encourage you to get in the kitchen, whip up something for your health and beauty and, and use it in the bathroom. <laughs> and that's this week's Holistic Bites. 
Thank you, Sita. I love that suggestion. I actually, we had a great show on allergies just a few weeks back with Dr. Todd Bourne on sensitivities and, you know, bodily reaction of all kinds of forms and shapes. And um, I noticed that I am reacting to my skincare lotion that I've been really using. It's super clean, mostly organic, and I've been using for years and years, maybe a decade. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to sneeze every time I use it. So while we encourage for anyone to stick with what they have, if it works for them, if it doesn't, it might be a great time to to change up your regiment in the beginning of this beautiful new year and try an oil or in this case a, a face treatment that is as natural as it gets right it's really it is <laughs> and it's so cleanness. it's so inexpensive is what blows my mind because particularly night creams for women they can be one of the most expensive oh, I was sh- beauty I was products shocked. we're talking 60 80 100 oh, hundred, hundreds of dollars <laughs> hundreds of dollars I don't, yeah All of the intelligence is out there in nature. You just got to figure out how to bring it into your own home. Thank you so much, Sita. Our topic in this hour, be a force for good, the rise of transparent business. There's a gentleman who literally wrote the book on it, the B Corp handbook, B Corp certification. What does it mean? What are the measurements and how would a company qualify? What does it stand for when you see this new movement this new logo B Corp certified on a product or with a company associated. How to use business as a force for good, our topic in this hour with the author of that very book, Ryan Honeyman, who's a sustainability business consultant, honeymanconsulting.com for more information. All that and so much more when we come back right after the break. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. In this hour, we are exploring the world of corporate behavior. What if a company was not just measured by and held accountable for all its products, but also for its behavior, the way it interacted with its employees, the environment, its partners, vendors, suppliers, and the community at large. That is now happening. It's called B Corp certification. Our topic in this hour is be a force for good, the rise 
rise of transparent business and transparency is really the key word. There's a handbook that was written that was just released, the B Corp handbook by Ryan Honeyman of Honeyman Consulting, and he is in the studio here with us. Ryan, welcome to the Thanks, show. Thanks, Olga. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> it's great to have you. <laughs> so you've just written the handbook for a very progressive movement, social and economic and environmental movement, really, placing companies beyond their product into the limelight of stewardship and leadership for community and the world at large because so much hinges on how corporations are behaving that affects all of us, whether we buy the products or not. Tell us in, in, in a first overview, what are B corporations? Sure. Well, a certified B corporation is a new type of company that uses the power of business to solve social and environmental problems. So the challenge is that we, for many years, we've had business, which is, for better or worse, one of the most powerful forces on the planet. And, you know, business in, in many ways can create a lot of benefits for society by creating wealth, by creating uh, shared happiness. But it can also create, we've also seen the dark side of business with things like the Deepwater Horizon and the, the recent financial collapse. So B Corps came about by saying we have business which creates about m the most, 78% of GDP, gross domestic product in the United States is from business. And so it's how can we harness this elephant in the room, which is creating a lot of the wealth and creating has a lot of the control in this country. How can we harness that to create benefits for, for society? And it's kind of fascinating putting the, the belief of the last 30 years where many people have given up on corporations and corporate behavior on its head because the, you know, don't trust a corporation was really the motto of the last 30 years. And it sounds to me like B Corp wants to or a certification wants to remedy that again or, or heal that because, as you said, it, yes, we can make different and more informed choices on a consumer level, and that has a huge impact and puts pressure on corporations. But what if corporations were partners in this work of change and transformation? That's what B Corp really is trying to address and is addressing, right? Exactly. And Organic Conversations, parent company, Organic Media Network, is certified as a B Corporation. We're a certified B Corporation. And when you when you pass your certification, you get this, what they call the Declaration of Interdependence. And uh, among the other things that it says, one of them is, is this following statement that I wanted to read, which really encapsulates what Ryan is talking about. And that is, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we must be the change we seek in the world, that all business ought to be conducted as if people and place mattered, that through their products, practices, and profits, businesses should aspire to do no harm and benefit all. And to do so requires that we act with the understanding that we are each dependent upon another and thus responsible for each other and future generations. Yeah, wonderful. That's That was really the motivating factor for us when um, the Organic Media Network, again, the, the company that kind of produces and allows this show to happen when we went through that process. And it was, a, a, luckily, in a way, a very rigorous process. This is not just pay your fee for $100 and it's a marketing seal. There are lots of marketing seals floating out there of some kind of behavior or benefit that you know, could by many be considered greenwashing because it doesn't hold that much merit. And then there's a group of SEALs that really are certifying bodies in place, ensuring the integrity, for example, organic, of course, for, for example, fair trade. Now we have B Corp certification. Can you walk us through a certification process? What does that entail? In which sure. areas of business does it look at? Sure. So one of the 
the appealing parts of the B Corp certification for, for many businesses is that it looks at more than just a single aspect of a company. So for example, you could have a fair trade bag of coffee, but that doesn't necessarily tell you how that company is treating its workers or if it's dumping effluents in the river behind the factory that manufactures that coffee. So what the B Corp is trying to do is to say, let's not only look at you know your building, if your building's green or if your coffee is fair trade, but let's say workers, how are your worker practices, how are your environmental practices, Do you are you involved with your local community, and is your governance structure set up to maintain your mission values over time? So it's really the first certification that kind of, you know, a lot of these movements over the past 30 years, like you mentioned, Telga is, you know, buy local, the co-op movement, microfinance, uh, clean tech, they're all kind of rallying around this notion of business should be used for good. And what the B Corp does is it takes all of those and says, Let's look at an entire company and say, I can trust not just the product of a company, but the, the entire company is acting with a stakeholder mindset instead of just a maximizing profits mindset. So does it replace, for example, you touched on lead certification, right? It's an absolutely verifiable process of assessing the, the greenness of a building. How much energy does it leak? How much energy does it conserve? What, is the, what are the practices around energy conservation? But it really just looks at the building, the people in there could be good people or not so good people, right? The practices. Does B Corp certification replace, in this case, lead, or does it encapsulate it, or does it go between the nooks and crannies and, and right. really th see the entire entity of a, of a company? So the B Corp is not meant to replace any other standards. It's more to say, you know, fair trade should be there, organic should be there, lead is a great standard. And in addition, this standard is saying, let's look at all of the practices under one, under one microscope and to say, if a company wants to be lead certified and organic certified and fair trade, a new consumer, the consumers have shown that they don't want a, a, a green product from a brown company. That's wow. how they describe mm -hmm. it. You know, Chevron, you know, I don't want to uh, deride a company that's making progress. You know, Chevron has lead certified buildings in Richmond. So that, that's good for them. They're, they're creating a green building, but it's, it's a change, right? And but no consumer would say I trust Chevron now they're a green business because they have green buildings. So what the B Corp is really saying, we want to distinguish between good companies and just good marketing. That is really eloquently stated, yeah. Ryan. Uh, we were telling you before the show about an episode that we recorded a couple of weeks back where we interviewed Sanjay Rawal, who's the director of Food Chains, which is a fantastic documentary that looks at the, the entire cycle of how food comes from field to plate and really the place where a lot of corners are being cut, which is at the worker level, which is these field workers who are picking our food are, are being kept at such a poverty rate in what they make because the companies that that are that are selling at the grocery stores are refusing to pay the the farm workers at the bottom of the food chain a, a fair wage. Now this is a place where a B Corp assessment to evaluate whether or not this grocery store could be B Corp certified would be looking at the entire chain that that produces the product and say at this level your workers are not being treated at at a you don't have a relationship with them that is equitable and and that means that we can't we can't give you a certification saying that you are upholding these values that we read earlier. Does that sound yeah. like a fair summary? I mean one of the one of the most appealing things for I think business owners and people who want to do good is that they're not necessarily, you know, I think there's a lot of aspersions cast on business owners. And I think 
a lot of the time they're not actually evil people who are trying to just, you know, they're not greedy. They're just playing by the rules of the system and how it's set up. And right now the rule, of the, the system is set up to only look at one number, which is short-term profits. Like how is the company doing on its profits? And so what the B Corp is trying to do is to say, let's add a number or a metric to these other issues. So workers, in your example, would now, you know, you could, you could say, you know, on a scale, the, the B impact assessment um, is the free assessment that the B Corporation movement uses. So if you go to bimpactassessment.net, you can take the free assessment, whether you want to be a certified B Corporation or not. So that would give someone a numerical score on their workers level, on their community level, and their environmental level, and their governance, so that a company can say, now I know where I'm at, and now I can compare my score to say, say Patagonia can compare themselves to the North Face. And Patagonia can say, why is the North Face scoring higher in these categories? And so it, it uses that natural tendency that humans have mm. to be uh, to com be competitive, but not to just maximize profits, to be competitive on ways that benefit society and the environment. And people certainly would recognize that um, there's this mantra within the B Corp certified company community that, of course, we want to support the businesses that are the most progressive and forward-leading institutions that we have in the in the nation and beyond. So there's kind of a, a code of working with one another as much as you can. And for me as a consumer, if I know, you know, yes, I could pick these five products, this one here comes from a company that is, if the product can't be organic, if it's a tent, in this case, Patagonia or outdoor equipment, is from a company that uses recycled materials and is also B Corp certified for its behavior overall. I think that is something consumers are looking for without ever really asking for it. We have the fair trade movement, right, in terms of farm workers, where we make sure that farm workers overseas getting paid fairly And our domestic farm workers for hundreds of years have so often been completely neglected and being exploited, really. It's kind of a new form of slavery or a new and old form, unfortunately. And now with this corporate behavior assessment in this time of transparency, that is the new status quo. You mentioned Patagonia. There are already over 2,000 companies. About 1,200 as of now. Oh, 1,200, yeah. over 1,000, yep. exactly. 1,200 yep. companies, Patagonia being one of them. What are some of yeah. the most known names that would people maybe be surprised about to hear that they sure. went through this entire certification process too? So Ben and Jerry's is one of the most famous. Uh, Patagonia, Etsy, King Arthur Flower, Seventh Generation. Just go to your, you know, go to your local co-op or Whole Foods, and you'll see all the B Corps on the on the aisles. So for me, it was helpful. It was nice because I'm a one-person company, and so to be part of a global movement of 1,200 people uh, as a one-person business, and to say that my business is in the the same community of people who are trying to to solve problems as Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's and Method is very empowering. And so I think any, and one of the messages I think should be that anyone can can harness the power of business. It doesn't have to be you know a hundred million dollar company. That's right, right. That's yeah. Yeah, you have not just consumer products, right? You have a law firm, Hanson and Bridget, yep. which is B Corp certified. So it really it's it doesn't matter what you produce as long as you're committed to being a leader in your field as it pertains to sustainability, environmental, social, and cultural. Our topic in this hour, be a force for good, the rise of transparent business and the rise of transparent good business, maybe we should say, with Ryan Honeyman, the author who wrote a book about it, the B Corp Handbook, B Corp Certification. Ryan is also a sustainability business consultant, honeymanconsulting.com, the website. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Citarani Palomar. And we have lots more questions coming up in just a minute. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. 
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Spicely Organics emphasis has long been on the natural health benefits of organic spices. And now Spicely is excited to share more health benefits with the introduction of their hand-blended organic teas. Choose from black, green, white, mate, oolong, pu'er, and herbals blended with their signature spices like vanilla rooibos, sweet turmeric, and honey lavender. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at Spicely.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Be a Force for Good, the Rise of Transparent Business, Leadership, Community, Environmental and Cultural Leadership of Corporations Now Being Verified and Verifiable Through B Corp Certification. With us is Ryan Honeyman of Honeyman Consulting. That's HoneymanConsulting.com. He's the author of the B Corp Handbook, How to Use Business as a Force for Good. Ryan, before the break, we talked about that there's an assessment and uh, companies really it takes two or three months at least. In our case, the Organic Media Network, the media mother that produces an organic conversation, we went through that about a year ago and it's rigorous and it's real and it costs money and it costs a lot of time and effort for us to, to focus on. It's not just you know something you can do in two hours and then get the seal. Can you specifically talk about the disciplines of what is being looked at and some of the qualitative measurements, how sure. that works? So one of the benefits of the, the B Impact Assessment, so that's bimpactassessment.net, is where anyone can go. And there's actually, you don't actually have to certify to take the assessment. You can use it if you're any business, whether or not you want to be a certified B Corporation. So for companies that are interested in becoming a certified B Corporation, you fill out, it's, uh, it's about 120 questions, and the assessment is tailored to your specific industry. So if you're a small services company, or if you're a large manufacturing company, or if you're a medium-sized agricultural business, it'll tailor it to them. So you take the assessment and it'll ask questions. One of the questions in workers, it's, you know, do you have a certain amount of women or low-income individuals or minorities on your executive team or on your board of directors or and in your you workforce? if you do, you score it, more points. Exactly. And so, you know, it really, you know, Patagonia is a great example of this. A lot of us think Patagonia is, and they are, one of the most sustainable businesses in the United States. But when they took the B Impact Assessment and certified the first time, they only scored a 106 out of 200 on the B Impact Assessment. So the B Impact Assessment is out of 200 points. So a lot of people say, why is Patagonia only scoring 106? Well, the B Impact Assessment is really designed to help companies think outside the normal range of what a sustainable business is. You know, a lot of companies think renewable energy, solar panels, um, you know, efficient lighting. But the B Impact Assessment is valuable because it, it helps you think 
are we volunteering in our local community? Like, are, are we giving our employees local uh, volunteer hours to kind of uh, do things that they would like to do in their community? Uh, do we pay a living wage? Do we have a socially responsible retirement plan option for employees? And so a lot of companies aren't necessarily thinking of the community and worker issues as much as they're thinking about the sustainable kind of green issues, which is, you know, lighting, energy efficiency, and waste. So it's a really great tool to kind of help you expand your thinking beyond kind of what you might think green to be. And it's great because it's a percentage assessment of where are you right now and then where do you need to go or want to go, right? You have to get better every year. That's yes. one of the components. It's not like after a year you recheck and if you're at the same level, you get the same points, you would need to improve your practices. So it's really trying to make or making companies better and better and better and raising the bar every year. And what I like about the percentage assessment also is the larger the company, the more responsibility there is because the more opportunity there is. Tell me the website again. Sure. Uh, Bimpactassessment.net. Um, B is really just the letter B. Yeah, the letter B. For companies interested in learning about B corporations, it's bcorporation.net. Or, of course, otherwise, HoneymanConsulting.com. Yeah, and, and Ryan, actually, you have a number of free resources on Honeyman Consulting that help people to better wrap their mind around what this is about. So, so and something that you talk about in the book is you may not be ready to take the leap into doing the impact assessment in order to become certified, but you're curious to know how is your company performing on these different factors. So you can take a look and see this is a place where we could really increase our performance. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Sure. So, yeah, again, if you're whether or not you actually want to certify, it's a great tool. So, for example, a company like Google or a company like uh, Whole Foods, who's not currently a certified B Corporation, whether or not they want to certify, they can go on to the assessment and start to see where can we improve. You know, a lot of people, Whole Foods has some great practices, and yet there's also areas that they can improve. And so it's kind of saying whether you're not doing really anything now and you want to learn where your blind spots are and improve or whether you're you think you're the most sustainable business around it'll always help you improve your score well and one other thing that i really like about that is you know when we did our assessment and we were just getting organic media network as the parent company for an organic conversation set up we were learning about what kinds of things we wanted to build into our structure so for people who are just now starting a business this is a really positive thing to do at the beginning to learn Great how to point. build your documentations and build your practices and principles in a way that support these values. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the status quo, right? What, where, where, or baseline, where do you start in order to grow? Um, so there are over a thousand B Corps already. It's not a tax status, even though some states are looking at that, I understand. So yeah, so there's two important pieces of the, the B Corp movement. One is the certification piece, which is what we've just been describing. Another piece which really gets at why the B Corp is it what they what they like to call a different type of company is it's actually they've also created a new corporate form in the United States similar to an LLC or a C corporation. And so the goal of a incorporating your business as a benefit corporation is to say You know, we might have a great founder who has charismatic, sustainable practices, but in 10, 20 years, if that founder retires, what's to make sure that his initial values and mission stay in place over time? You know, Yvonne Schoenart from Patagonia is a great example. So now business owners can say, I want to incorporate a responsibility to consider more than just profits when making decisions 
into my corporate form, into my legal documents, so that I'm legally responsible to now make decisions that benefit society when I'm making decisions in the future. Yeah, so for this show or this the company that produces Inorganic Conversation, I would be responsible to provide the greatest benefit and monetary return to investors. Now that we are a benefit corporation, in addition to being B Corp certified, I can decide that is really important and environmental or um, social and cultural stewardship is equally important. And for the brand that we are and for the responsibility that we feel as a company, I can actually make decisions that cost us more and returns less money to our investors fully legally, which I couldn't do under for example, a C-Corp status. Very interesting. Um, yes. I don't, I don't know that we've mentioned yet that the nonprofit behind B-Corp certification and really spearheaded the benefit corporation legislation across the country is B-Lab. So this is this incredible yes. think tank of, of individuals who really believe in, in business in a different way. It seems like this is just a snowball effect of positivity, the way that all of these ideas are yep. growing. What is ahead? Sure. You know, one of the most interesting things about the B Corp movement is that it's bipartisan, which is very rare, I think, in our mm -hmm. times. You know, you have conservatives who like it because it's pro-business. It gets the kind of it empowers the private sector. And you have uh, progressives who like it because it's pro-worker, pro-environment, pro-community. And so there's no constituency who's opposed to the idea of using business for good, oh, I'm which, sure is, you'll, which is great. One, uh, yes. one will come up at one point. It's just how it goes. But it's yeah. true. Um, but I think the future really is an important point that I think is a testament to the founders of B-Lab who created this movement is that they realize that certifying a thousand companies or even a hundred thousand companies is not is really a drop in the bucket in terms of the total. There's 7 million businesses in the United mm. States. And if, even if there are 100,000 certified B corporations, it's not really affecting the majority. And what they're really trying to do is to say, take the free assessment, the B impact assessment, and just measure, measure what matters, like measure your impact on society and the environment. And inherently, you will have ideas and you will want to improve that score, whether or not you actually become a certified B Corporation, because it's another business metric that you can optimize, which business owners like to do. Hmm. Once every company is B Corp certified in the nation, that might be a, a couple of years out. But I, <laughs> I do think movements have impact much, much earlier. Organic food accounts for about four to maybe five percent of overall consumption, and at least in the world we live, it's all organic. There's no new restaurant in any metropolitan area that doesn't have some kind of farm to food connection. So you don't need to get to even ten percent. I think at at two or three or four percent, when B Lab has certified a million businesses, which you know again might be a few years out, but at that point it's fifteen percent. It will be so known that companies who don't have it will be scrutinized for it. It's like it becomes the norm of society, and that's what we hope this show will help do, of course. Yes. And one thing we didn't <laughs> mention is this movement, I don't know if we said this, it's much bigger than just in the United States. There are B Corps in how many countries? 37 countries. 37 so countries. Afghanistan, the largest telecom provider in Afghanistan mm -hmm. is a B Corporation. Wow. You know, South Africa, Kenya, 
the fastest growing area is actually in South America and Chile and Argentina. Wow. And so. it's any business. You don't have to grow an organic product. It could be, you know, what does Google do with their batteries after the devices are being discarded? Or how do you use your electronics? Or where do you buy silicium for, from? And so really, like, there's always a way to assess if a company makes a responsible decision. And that's really the beauty of, of B Lab and B Corporation certification. Thank you, Ryan. That's Ryan Honeyman. I think we did a pretty good job <laughs> trying to put a very complex certification process and new movement and critically important movement into a one-hour show. Again, Ryan Honeyman, sustainability business consultant of Honeyman Consulting. That's honeymanconsulting.com and the author of the brand new B Corp handbook, How to Use Business as a Force for Good. And that's the topic in this hour, Be a Force for Good, The Rise of Transparent Business, here in an organic conversation. Thanks for joining us. It Thank, was you. Packed, Thank you. Thank you both. Packed Ryan. pleasure, I would say. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. We'll have you back and see what this movement has done in a year or so, just to have a follow-up. This is great. Perfect. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And of course, coming up, we stay with sustainability and organic, in this case, produce. What's coming up is the update from the world of produce and directly from the produce dog what's in season right after the break stay tuned for more produce is ever-changing seasons coming and going at earl's organic we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And what's coming up is the update from the produce dog, What's in Season? And with us now, of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, and really the spokesperson for all organic carrots throughout the country, our very own <laughs> beloved Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. Earl, are you with us? 
I, I sure am. How are you doing, Helga? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I see that. Hi there, Earl. I'm you great. know, carrots do need a spokesperson. We they learned do. a couple of weeks ago tomatoes need a spokesperson. <laughs> yes. Way to speak for the little guys. And speaking about that, we just had an amazing hour with Ryan Honeyman here in the studio with B-Lab, a sustainability <laughs> consultant, talking about B Corp certification and responsibility. And that brings us right into organic produce, just as juicy of a topic. What is in season right now? Is mm. there anything in season right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what could that possibly be? Here we are in the middle of January. Well, you know, um, we're going to talk about other fruits uh, as, as the year goes on. Right now is a good time to focus on apples and pears because their mm. you know, selections are, are limited in, in fresh fruit. And, well, even saying that, fresh fruit is, is, is kind of a qualified uh, statement at this point because all apples and pears at this point are coming out of storage. And over the years, we've had several shows on controlled atmosphere, which is also known as CA, and that's how apples are stored that you want to uh, have around uh, after a month or two. And I can get into that if we want to, but there's still a lot of good varieties in apples. Uh, I think all of us in the in the country or uh, all the regions are shut down in terms of fresh picking, so you're, you're working out of the storage. But there's still a good, I don't know, eight to ten varieties out there, uh, depending upon where you're living and, and uh, what your local market is pulling. Yeah, I mean, we, we got slammed by frost and funny weather the uh, this winter, and this is all produce that, I mean, apple and pear season is what, August to November, December-ish? Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is maybe a month to three months old? picked before yeah. is that about right yeah and it is it is interesting when you talk to some people that haven't really thought that through they go what what you mean these weren't picked last week in the middle of january or february or march and yeah but as you think about it that's where the old uh, root cellar came in where you would have your local trees in, in your in your in your county or your backyard and you and that's what you would store so when yeah, we, everything is coming out of storage. When we compare apples with apples for, for once, I'm sure there are varieties that store better. I know, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but there are a couple of varieties in Germany that actually get better the longer you store them, which is amazing. Yeah, that is true. Uh, many of those are not common to the you know, ter, ter, uh, uh, domestic uh, production and viewing, if you will, and, and enjoyment. But the ones here, um, for example, a gala doesn't store very well. Uh, they tend to get soft. It's a softer apple anyway. It's one of the first apples that are picked in the season. A, a good storage apple or one that is, is firm and solid is a Fuji. That mm-hmm. one that one uh, does very well. Uh, a Cameo is another one. Those infamous uh, delicious apples uh, store pretty well. And then there's Braeburn. That's another one that stores well. Pink Lady is, uh, is a great apple to have. You know, those are some that you should be looking for. Uh, Granny Smith, uh, and there's a couple new ones around that are uh, proprietary, but they're called, uh, they're named Jazz and Pacific Rose. If you haven't uh, tried those, those are some new apples that were originally developed uh, down in New Zealand, but they now have Washington production, and they're pretty apples. They tend to be sweet, so if you haven't tried, you want to look for something new and outside of your normal 
you know, two or three selection, try a Pacific Rose or a Jazz. I'm so happy we're talking about this, Earl, because, you know, we get to a time in the year, at least for me, where I don't enjoy apples as much because the flavor has changed so much. And so much of that has to do with how it's stored, how I store it. And I, and I blame my ignorance on the fact that prior to learning this from you and from Mark over the years is that I didn't realize that these apples that are coming out of storage, because they've been in a contained atmosphere for a while, because they were all picked back in the fall, means I have to treat them a little bit differently when I get them at home. These aren't necessarily apples that you want to leave on your counter the way that you do during the fall because they're going to get mealy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, since they're coming out of storage, that is their now new environment, if you will. And once taken out of that, they... See, a uh, 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 controlled atmosphere is exactly what it is. It, it, the whole atmosphere is controlled, so the fruit is in suspended animation, if you will. So, there, you know, the the composition and the and the breathing of the apple is is inhibited. So, taken out of storage, even as the, as the retailer displays it, oh. he needs to rotate that product and he needs to keep it under refrigeration. The same thing an end user, you and I, need to do. Meaning, we need to. Get it in that refrigerator as soon as you can, or eat it right away. Now, if you are refrigerating it, which I recommend, take it out about an hour before you're going to eat it so it gains some room temperature, which will allow the flavors and the aroma to, you know, to uh, come out for you. Not unlike, you know, bottle, uh, uh, taking a cork out of a wine, let mm. it breathe a little bit. Let it get to uh, um, ambient temperature to a degree, but don't forget about it and leave it out for a couple of days because then <laughs> it will lose its... Um, yeah, it will degrade much, much quicker, right? Thank you. Exactly. It's Degrading is the perfect word. Yeah, and then it'll, your experience will be, it won't be snappy, it won't be crunchy, sure. be a bit mealy. It, it still may be sweet, but... And for some people, that's fine. And, and when it gets to that point, it's still for it's still good for juicing and for uh, creating applesauce or apple butter. Mm. So mm. when you when I go to a grocery store right now, I would say half of the apple varieties, five or six varieties, are in a cooler situation, and five or six are out on display. How how is that possible? Are those not? I mean, even the ones that may be imported right now mm -hmm. would be coming from a suspended animation place from a ship yeah. being picked three weeks ago and then shipped over or even longer. So why would any apple right now on a retail level be not in cold, in a cold storage display? Uh, let me clarify a couple of things. You're not going to see imported apples till about April or May. Oh, oh interesting. Uh, Great. So this is all domestic. It, yeah. Because, mm -hmm. you know, kind of flip it around. That's when it's fall down under. And that, because we're getting those apples from New Zealand and Australia, Great. New Zealand apples or Chilean or Ar Argentine. Nice. So those, those haven't appeared yet. Um, I know these years and seasons run into each other. So I think that what you're talking about is the nature of what that particular store is doing. Because all apples should be stored uh, under cool. refrigeration this time of year. Mm -hmm. If they're not, that has more to do with the amount of space that they have or the amount of uh, money they have to to purchase refrigeration uh, or just uh, how big their store is. Uh, and, and it could be a, a part of their marketing is we're, we're only going to buy and, and display what I can sell in a day or two. And do you know if those outside storage, not cool displays, um, do they go into a cooled atmosphere overnight or they will just be covered or even not even covered and the store will be you know, cooled down maybe a little bit, but they're basically yeah. staying out? They're, they're pretty much staying out unless 
it's a big enough place uh, that can actually do that, take that display down or roll that display into refrigeration. Generally speaking, um, they're, that, they're not going to throw that labor at it. They're going to put a display out and leave it there. The better places, the better retailers are definitely going to rotate their stock. But if apples are outside of refrigeration, there is really an example where you want to you want to uh, uh, ask somebody for a sample for sure. Yeah, you always say you, that, right? And it seems like this is we are talking. You could be picking an apple that's already done because yeah. it degraded so quickly, or you literally buy it. You don't eat it that afternoon. The next morning, it had the warmth of your counter because you didn't put it in the fridge. And yeah. even the even the fluctuation between you refrigerating it again, if it's already on the process of breaking down, yeah. you putting it in the fridge will maybe even make it worse. It does. It's already too late, right? Well, you know, that's a good question. A lot of that is, is you want to experiment that with yourself. For example, uh, um, leave it out for a day. See what, what happens. You know, I don't think it's going to break down that quite that quickly. It has a lot to do with the conditions before we even got it. Meaning, it, gotcha. for example, if it's a wholesaler like me, maybe I left my apples out. And then I sold them to the retailer, even though he may have uh, refrigerated it right away. Or maybe somebody at, at their place left them out on a on on a unrefrigerated area overnight because they were thinking, "Well, I'm going to get to this," and they don't. I mean, there's all these circumstances that really we were not privy to in in the transit of the product. Mm -hmm. So great point. It, so it might yes, not be the retailer's fault, but somewhere yeah. in the chain from tree to storage to distributor or wholesaler to the yep. store to your household, somewhere yep. there. It's really a sensitive path to walk where any temperature fluctuation would create that breakdown. So right yeah, now no, with apples and pears, you gotta, you got to try them. <laughs> well, there is one thing to consider. They're in a box. These, these apples are in a 40-pound box with, with insulation in them, and it takes a while to leak if it's out of refrigeration, which is going to be a, about a 35 degrees. It takes a while for that of the change of temperature to permeate the sure. box because it's in a very tightly insulated box. I mean, not insulated like a house, but it's cardboard and there's cardboard in it, and it's and it's 35 degrees in there. So it'll it'll take a little while. It, it, I think you got a couple days, but yeah, there's so much about it we don't know. Um, even when I buy product, that's why when we it crosses our dock, we're doing a quality control check immediately to determine if, in fact, wow, maybe this, for example. It, maybe it's shipping out of L.A., and it sat on, on a dock down there in between uh, it being delivered, and it was a warm spell down there, and nobody knows it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to do your quality control work. You want to sample your product. So for a retailer, the quality product is you going in, getting a sample, and also you can – one way to do it is pick up an apple and thump it with your, with your finger and listen it to, up to your ear. And if it's not a, a nice resolution, if it doesn't go, well, I can't really say ping, because it's not going to go ping, but if it's not a good, healthy thud, if it's a dull one, well, then that, it's not as crisp as you want it. Can you do this on the mic right now? No, you don't have an apple uh, hang in on, reach. Let me 
Oh, that's great. That's not a good apple. apple. No. <laughs> well, it's a good reminder to check your apples at the various stores that you go to as well. Because if you know that you like Brayburns, for example, the Brayburn yeah. at one market might be different than the Brayburn at another, depending on how it was held as it came yeah. from whoever whoever distributed and delivered it, and of course how it's held at the retail level. Earl, I have one quick question for you. You know, yeah. for me, this time of year when the apples are coming out of storage, at least in my experience, not many of them are very tart. They tend to be more candy sweet apples. And I prefer the the sweet tart, like the pink ladies and the grannies are really what, what I enjoy. Are there any other varieties that come out of cold storage right now that tend to have that good sweet tart balance? Uh, let me think this through a little bit. You know, that is about it. A Brayburn, for some people, that's got a nice tartness to it. And you still may find a couple varieties around, maybe if somebody's long on the product and they bought up and they stored it well. There's, um, there's an Arkansas black hmm. that is a very, very dense apple. Generally speaking, there's not a lot of grown, there's not a lot of that apple grown, so they don't, they're not around for a long period of time because the, the demand outstrips the supply. Sure. But um, I think, again, work off your memory, work off your experience, and also go, Always, always ask for samples. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'll tell you, produce people in general like to be engaged, and the good ones like to engage the customer because, you know, you get an opportunity to show off and, in your case, you know, meet some uh, beautiful women. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Earl. (laughs) Got that loud and clear. No, but really this time, apples and pears, there's no way around it. You've got to try exactly that stack. And if you come back tomorrow, that actually might be a different shipment. So you got to try it again. Otherwise, you might be wasting a few precious dollars. Absolutely. And also, when you pick the apple up, if it's not chilled, if it's not cool, that means the display is not cold. That means it's basically room temperature. And then, bingo, that's got to be something to alert you right there. Great. Mm, okay, it's out of refrigeration. Wonderful. Always such Thank helpful you. tips. Yes. Thanks for calling in, Earl. Helping always, for saving always. us money. Um, it's great. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> we'll talk to you next <laughs> we'll week. Next week. Thanks, Earl. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> thanks so much. Bye. Wow. Every week, how to save money. Really, it's like if you listen to this every week, you're, you're saving tens of dollars every week. How to save money and eat better. That could be Amazing. that could be the name of that segment right there. That was Earl Herrick <laughs> of Earl's Organic Produce in our weekly segment, What's in Season? The update from the produce doc from the man himself who literally deals with the freshest items every day, every morning, every night to bring you the best produce. He, at least on the West Coast of the U.S., but really knowing what's going on throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes. And that, that sums up an amazing hour. It was an amazing hour. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to hearing you again next week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.